0: presenting John Gabriel, the undisputed king of stuff.
1: What is up, PodCats? Welcome to the show. This is John Gabriel, your favorite podcast host on your favorite podcast, The King of Stuff. Uh, We have an interview coming up. I wanted to let you know, though, I will be yammering on the other side of this interview. And there's two very important announcements. So stay tuned for those. Uh, But now we're going to talk with Larry Correa. Now, Larry is most known for his Monster Hunter International Urban Fantasy Series. Um He's written a lot of books, 25 bestsellers. has been listed many times, of course, on the New York Times list. But this time, he isn't writing fiction. He's writing in defense of the Second Amendment. That's the name of his book. It's going to be released next Tuesday, January 24. You can pre-order it now on Amazon or wherever you buy your fine books. Um, In addition to being a great and very popular fiction writer, um, he's been a gun shop owner. He's worked in this field before. He's been a firearm safety instructor, and he has a detailed knowledge of laws um, in and around the Second Amendment. Not only the legal battles, but also the cultural fights that uh, people trying to protect the Second Amendment are involved in. So here is that interview. Larry Korea, a uh, pleasure to have you here on the best, probably the most popular podcast on Earth, The King of Stuff. I'm sure you must be thrilled to be on with me, so uh, I'm thrilled to have you.
2: Hey, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah. Well, your new book is about, uh, you're known uh, for a lot of fantastic science fiction and so forth, but something that, I don't know, people who aren't terribly familiar uh, with you might not know. You are a big-time gun rights advocate, and uh, boy, do we need it, especially with uh, so many Democrats. We just had a Democrat slide into office here in Arizona, and we need people standing up. So why don't you tell us about your new book?
2: Uh, Yeah, it's called In Defense of the Second Amendment, and it is um, kind of my handy-dandy compendium of all things Second Amendment-related, all the... um, all the issues all the usual proposals all the laws uh how, how the existing laws work i wrote this book to kind of try to help move the needle um so i wrote this book not just for people who are already on my side to help them articulate better arguments but also for people who um they're kind of on the fence they're are they they're, they're interested but they have believed a lot of the news you know they they don't really know and uh or, or for guys uh, I, I know people like this, male and female, where their spouse is anti-gun and, uh, you know, they want to have a gun to defend themselves, but their their spouse is against it. And so I kind of wrote this book to kind of just persuade people and to help people kind of like put together their reasoning. I researched the heck out of it. Everything in here is cited. We've got, you know, 13 pages of small print sites for everything and, you uh, uh, I I went through pretty much every gun control proposal and argument I could think of and everything I've seen on the internet for the last two decades and just try to get it all into one place so people could use it. Hopefully it works.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it looks great. Um, The first blurb I saw mentioned regarding this book was the Nuge and I'm like, rock on. That's good.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I, uh,
1: I went through my, uh, suburban uh, white male uh, nuge phase. And uh, so I still uh, <laughs> hearken back to uh, the old metal music of my youth. So I was like, okay, I don't care uh, what he thinks about guns. He's the nuge. So um, it, it's great that you're doing this. Now, one thing that apparently is controversial, but maybe to you and me is not really, um, you're a big proponent of letting teachers carry in class. And we're talking teachers who want to, who are trained, who are skilled with a weapon. Um, I don't know. uh, My girls just got out of high school and are beginning college. But it's a situation where, I don't know, you have six teachers in a certain area of a school, and one of them who's trained wants to be ready and protect the kids if need be. Uh, Why are you such a proponent of that?
2: Well, before I became an novelist, before I started writing novels, I I was in the gun business. And one of the things I did, I was a Utah Concealed Weapons Instructor. And in the state of Utah, for a very long time now, actually, I think we're up to like 15, 16, maybe even 18 years now, we have allowed concealed carry in schools. Uh, We actually had a legal battle over that the way our laws were written. And um, it was basically if you were a teacher or any school employee and you had a concealed weapons permit, you were allowed to carry your gun at work, just like any other job. And um, so we actually had a kind of we, actually, we had a big fight over this with the legislator, and we had you know I was involved in uh, I testified before this legislator as a CCW instructor over this kind of thing, and uh, it was really interesting to me though because we had this in Utah for a long time and we haven't had any issues, and we have actually had some incidents where an armed teacher or an armed school employee stepped in and had to draw their firearm, um, and it actually made a difference and it, it headed off violent situations. So as the years went on, um, we would see these school shootings around the country. and I talk about this a lot in the book and the mindset of uh, the people that do them and what they're going for. and it's basically it's it's complicated, but when you have these attackers attacking different vulnerable places, you want defense in depth. You don't want just one layer of defense. Like your car has brakes, you know you have seat belts, you have turn signals. you have all these different safety devices on your car. But when it comes to self-defense, people are like, well, just have the cops. We'll have one level of defense. And that's too far away. Mm -hmm. And as we saw in Uvalde, which was like the worst law enforcement, uh, you know, and the lawyers keep telling me, say, allegedly, (laughs) you know, yeah, allegedly the worst law enforcement response of modern history, Mm -hmm. where you had dozens of cops sitting around outside, screwing up and letting a killer kill. So my thing on army teachers in school is this shouldn't be mandatory. It shouldn't be forced. Um, it shouldn't be, I see people like, Oh, you're going to make teachers carry. I don't want to carry a gun. It's like, okay, fine. You, you shouldn't have to. However, I guarantee uh, that in every single school in America, there's at least one or two people who are capable of doing this and trained and smart. So when I was back, when I was teaching CSW in Utah, we had, um, in the wake of one of the mass shootings, I started teaching teachers for free. I, I put out a thing that said, if, if you are an employee of any Utah school, uh, come to my CCW class. I'll teach all your class for free. And I taught hundreds and hundreds of teachers this way. And what I saw doing this was that every single school had somebody that was good and somebody was prepared. I had one school come in. It was interesting because I had a principal and a couple teachers and the, I think it was a janitor or a bus driver. Mm-hmm. And what it was is the they had had an incident like two weeks before where they had a kid bring a gun to school and um, you know, it's a little bit of chaos. And he was it wasn't like a, he was, I wasn't going to shoot the place up or anything, but it was, it was a, it was a crime kind of thing and gang related, I think. But the school resource officer, the cop that was assigned to that school wasn't there. He was just AWOL. They don't know where he was. And all of a sudden these unarmed teachers had to handle this situation that could have turned into a horrible crisis. So after that, the principal looked around and said, no, I ain't going to do this. I'm not going to count on this one layer of defense. And so he went out to the guys that he knew and he was like, okay, hey, I know you. You're the shop teacher. I've known you for years. You're squared away. Would you want to do this? And if I remember right, I think the the bus driver was uh, the combat veteran of Iraq. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, Man. this is a guy. I mean, why wouldn't I want this guy armed? Right. At, at school. Um and so I'm a huge proponent of that. I I think it's uh, it's vital to have multiple layers of defense. And we always hear people say, oh, it's going to be chaos and teachers are going to be shooting kids and kids are going to be taking the teacher's guns away. Well, we've already had an experiment. So we have my state has been doing this for over a decade. And none of those horrible things that they keep predicting happen uh, because it's just, you know, they, they always fall back on the emotional argument. But. So, my thing is, I I want to defend kids. I want to keep kids safe. So, I want to find those capable and capable teachers. And I'm not making them be armed, just Mm -hmm. letting them. They choose to do it. Then it's like any other person with a concealed weapons permit. That's that's kind of my. I go into it in a lot more depth and I use a lot more numbers.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think part of it too is um, it also deters kids, you know, just the kind of the. The mopey outsider, no one understands me, man. If he knows that, I don't know, at my school, I know there's three or four teachers and staff who are armed, you just rule that idea out. That clever idea of uh, making, you know, that you've been playing on video games, first-person video games, and just like, you know what, that it just isn't going to work. So I'm going to be taken out in a couple seconds. So why bother?
2: Yeah, it's actually interesting. I I go into this, and this is not just for schools, but I go into this, into the book about uh, mass shootings, uh, and the kind of people to do these mass murder sprees, and some of them are just—they're bonkers. They're bonkers, crazy. Yeah. And if you look at their manifest—and I had—I mean, I went through and I read the manifestos of a lot of these people, uh, you know, those that created them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them—they don't have a coherent philosophy. They just—the voices in their head told them to go do this, and they did it. That said, the, there a lot of them aren't—they're—they're they're not insane. You know, they're evil,
0: mm-hmm. but they
2: know what they're doing. And part of the thing is they're kind of a lot of these guys are. Looking to make a statement. They're looking to become famous. They're looking to be important and, and kind of like uh show us all how how great and powerful they are. So they always pick places that they can maximize the body count. And if and I go into this a lot in the book uh, about gun-free zones, and with schools being a great example in most places of a gun-free zone. So you get these killers and they will specifically target a gun-free zone. We've seen cases where um, they've picked that uh, they'll have several different options and they'll go to the one that they know there's not going to be armed people because then they're guaranteed several minutes of carnage before the cops show up uh, and and stop them. And also I, I do believe our news media is complicit in this, not even mm-hmm. wittingly, but un- well, some of them, I think it is witting, but they publicize these guys based upon the carnage, the more, They do the higher the score the more news coverage they get and if you do enough the president of the united states will come on tv and do a press conference and and weep about how how scary you are Mm -hmm. and and so these disaffected loser guys they see this and they're like wow i can become the most powerful man in the world i just need to get a huge body camp and also Mm -hmm it's it's this weird pathological thing where the media feeds this and rewards it because they love gun control and they mm-hmm. need these tragedies to capitalize on to shove through emotional laws. So it's it's a sick cycle.
1: It really is. And I think, too, the fear of a teacher having a gun and maybe you're in Utah, I'm in Arizona. And to me, it's like, oh, that makes sense. The Kind of the Mountain West attitude is it's a tool. You have to be very careful with it, but it's not this icky scary taboo thing and when you talk to people even people of the right who might philosophically be pro second amendment they just think it's kind of icky they just don't want to think about it as a subject and i i was thinking back to i think i was in fifth grade in elementary school we had you know officer friendly come into the school and tell us and me being precocious said um what happens if a uh I don't know, whatever I said, then a burglar comes into my house um, and I have to shoot him. And the cop nonchalantly says, aim for the center of the body. And if he falls outside the door, drag him inside. That'll make the paperwork easier. (laughs) And that was just like, that wasn't shocking. It was like, oh, that's wise. That makes sense. And I was just like, that's kind of how I grew up. It wasn't a big thing. And uh, it's hard for me to relate sometimes to East Coast people who are like, Oh my gosh, it's a scary totem that I'm afraid to talk about.
2: Just real fast, I got to put my concealed weapons instructor hat on. Don't don't pull the body back inside.
1: (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Don't do that. Yeah. And I think uh, Phoenix at the time, growing up uh, out here in Phoenix, it was probably like we were basically a cow town when I was a little kid, you know, probably like 300,000. It was like, "Ah, yeah, I'll call the police chief and he'll say, yeah, that was fine. Good shot, kid. Um, Happy 12th birthday or whatever. But um, I I think just growing up and around them, it just, we don't really understand the fear that the gun grabbers have, especially if they're just kind of urbanized and they haven't grown up around the culture. And it's just not a big deal to us. And we really need to educate those people. Um, And I think a great way of doing, you being an instructor, um, I think uh, Glenn Reynolds said this, um, uh, taking someone out to the gun range that's... um, kind of an intro to the free life, you know, it's like, come on in and see what freedom feels like. And then once they try it, they're hooked.
2: It's actually interesting to me because I think culturally, this is one thing where we are winning. Mm -hmm. Um, It's taken a long time. because when I first got involved in gun rights, I mean, we were we thought we were host. I mean, back Mm -hmm. when Bill Clinton was president, we had the assault weapons ban. We thought we were all we all thought we were four or five years and one Supreme Court decision away from losing our Second Amendment rights and then Mm -hmm. stuff getting really wacky. Um, and I look at it now, we've now got, when I was a kid, we had, or when I was young, we had one state with constitutional issue, carry, and now we have 25. Mm-hmm. You know, we had, I think we had like seven or eight states had some form of concealed weapons permit, and now it's all of them because of the recent Supreme Court decisions. I mean, we have a couple of states dragging their feet as much as possible, but they have to do something here soon. And so it's changed. Plus, talk to anybody who owns a gun store in America and what happened in 2020 with the riots, the chaos, they had lines out the door at every gun store in America. Uh, my local gun dealer, he sold more guns in a couple months than he did in the previous year. And in that previous year was a good year. Mm-hmm. But what we had was when law broke down and we had cities on fire and we had a lot of places in America where the cops were straight up telling people, hey, you're on your own. Don't call 911. We can't come. Uh, you're you're out of luck and so i think that woke a lot of people up and so all these people buying guns during this chaos uh they weren't us they weren't me and you they weren't guys um who already have because we got ours mm-hmm. we're not going to go stand in line and pay scalpers prices <laughs> <laughs> you know um so it was mostly new people and it was a lot of first-time buyers It was a lot of people who they are not the traditional demographics that the gun community would draw from and uh and I think we have those people out there now and we uh, we need to do a good job bringing them in and educating. And that's one of the things I wrote this book for, is like going to like what they can do to learn, to get better, to to improve this stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think just real life experience has uh, trained a lot of people on this. Well, one thing that you address in your book as well, when I first heard of red flag laws, I went, finally, a new idea, that makes sense. Then I thought about the people who would be accessing the data <laughs> and enforcing the data and I was like oh yeah that's really ripe for abuse so what are your feelings about that
2: yeah I got a chapter about red flag loss because that's one of the the newer things um that they've glumped onto and it's really interesting because they they the way they phrase it the way they pitch it makes it sound very reasonable it's like okay we have this dangerous individual out there who is planning to do bad stuff he's a threat to himself and others so we're, all you got to do is alert us, and we will come in, and we will take away his guns, and then you're safe, and everyone's safe, and then we won't have this guy go on a rampage. Yay. Well, that falls apart logically under uh, a few things. So first off, every state already has a legal method of uh, taking people who are a danger to themselves and others and committing them. Now, red flag laws, if... And it's hard to speak broadly because every state, this is a state thing, not a federal thing, so every state's different. But broadly speaking, what happens is they get a report that this guy's dangerous. There's no jurisprudence, really. The judge just signs off, it. there's no evidence looked at here. So they go in. They disarm this guy. Now, what we've seen is that there are people who have done nothing wrong and weren't doing anything wrong. They just got reported by someone who had an axe grind. We had, mm-hmm. we've had angry employees uh, reporting their bosses. We've had ex-wives reporting their husbands. Uh, I thought the most interesting case of all was one of the first ones was in Colorado. It was actually there was a suicide by cop where the police mm-hmm. shot a guy who was trying a uh, situation, but it was ruled justified and then the mother of the of the person who got shot red flag lawed the the cop that shot him so she red flagged the cop so she reported him as being a uh domestic violence threat danger to him and they had they had no relationship they didn't know each other Mm -hmm. but she could still do that and this guy got rolled up and uh they took all his property and he had to go to the judge and he had to go to court and he had to fight all this and this is a cop In a situation that's clearly a fabricated, you know, out to get your revenge thing, Mm -hmm. where someone just weaponized the courts. Imagine what that's going to do to you and me and regular people who aren't police officers and don't have the uh, department and don't have the the attorneys. If you get red flagged and you've done nothing wrong, you still have to spend thousands of dollars. And I don't know how many hundreds of hours and how much time it's going to take fighting to get your rights back to defend yourself. And now let's think about this other way. That's that's so that's bad people weaponizing the law, which always happens. I mean, these are the same people that that report all your posts on the internet and get you kicked off Facebook. Okay. Exactly. It's the same people. Right. Uh, but let's think about this. Let's say you actually do have a dangerous individual, but he hasn't done anything bad yet. But let's say he is an angry, disgruntled, borderline kind of person, right? And the cops come in and they raid his house, they take his guns away, but he wasn't he hadn't done anything yet well, he's still free. They mm-hmm. took his guns away. And what, is he going to be happier now? Is he going to be, is that going to be like the moment where he's like, oh, wow, I, I need to repent of my evil ways and become nicer. Yeah. No,
1: yeah.
2: of course not. And you
1: were telling me everyone was out to get me. Now somebody broke into my home, took all my arms. So I'm glad that's, uh, that's settled. I'm sure nobody's out to get me now.
2: Yeah, exactly. I was like, And this is really awful when you start thinking about, like, if you look, and I go into the book a great deal, how criminals procure their guns and how most Mm -hmm. guns used in crimes, they're stolen, overwhelmingly, or they're purchased from a criminal who stole them. Mm -hmm. So even if you have this guy, Red Flag, there is absolutely, if he's still free, there is absolutely nothing from him, stopping him from procuring a weapon, the same way almost all other weapons are procured in crime, or just building a bomb. Or driving Mm -hmm. a truck down the sidewalk or, you know, driving his explorer through a parade. I mean, and so the the whole thing is kind of this feel good nonsense that doesn't hold up to logical scrutiny. I I think red flag laws are nefarious. And the fact that so many uh, Republicans in the Senate voted for it was just pathetic. It was just pathetic.
1: It's just one of those things. And any time any kind of new bill, new law, whatever is being proposed, I just I think I just I instinctively look for what are the unintended consequences here? Who's controlling the data? Who is actually enforcing this stuff? And then I'm usually like, no, that really is not a good idea. That is not going to play out well. So even if it sounds good. Now, we had uh, Joe Biden, um, America's foremost intellectual reminding us that we don't really need the second amendment it doesn't make any sense because he has nukes what are you gonna do if the government goes against you i i got an f-16 or a g-16 whatever those things are called and uh i'm gonna blow up your house so why do you even need a gun um why is this stupid
2: <laughs> oh, so many levers that that's like an onion is stupid and like you peel it back and there's another layer of stupid beneath it right I actually have a whole chapter in the book um, about about that, about like kind of the doomsday provision of the Second Amendment, about mm-hmm. – sta- the Second Amendment is about self-defense up to and including a tyrannical government.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so when – and actually when I originally wrote that part, I was responding to Congressman Eric Swalwell, who is <laughs> the dumbest man in Congress. Um, I, I don't know if I, I can say that. Democrat
1: representing her. Mensa. Yeah. He's, yeah. Uh, he's another he is, uh, brainiac
2: is he so that guy's a genius all right so eric swalwell had this little thing where he's like well the second amendment doesn't matter because we have the government has nukes <laughs> and he, he said that. I was like wait a minute all right, like so what you're gonna like nuke omaha nebraska i mean right. you're talking about nuclear weapons you're gonna nuke phoenix yeah. if it gets somebody i mean come <laughs> on man. okay but does I, in the so,
1: summer we would not notice a temperature change so you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. the wind might be uh, helpful
2: well, I mean, in, in the true Fallout sense, you guys already have the giant scorpions. So. Yeah,
1: that's true. <laughs>
2: um, but no, so I wrote a big thing about this. I, I, I was a military contractor uh, for a long time and um, uh, contract accountant. I didn't do anything exciting, I just did numbers. Uh-huh. And um, it was interesting to me because, like, when, and one of the things I did work on was F 16s um, uh, at Hill Air Force Base. And they're talking about, you know, like, we have jets. Okay, we were talking about using it against a populace that lives literally on the other side of the chain link fence from where we park all these things. Mm-hmm. And all us guys that work on them, guess what we do? <laughs> I mean, guess <laughs> – and it was like it's so completely out of touch. It's this bizarre beltway out of touch kind of thing. I actually use um, Afghanistan and Iraq um, uh, as examples. I get into like the Ukraine and the early stages of the Ukraine war. I talk about Vietnam. Um, basically, we have these people who are completely sheltered from reality. Throughout these non-sequiturs, about how oh your rifle is useless against whatever my advanced weapon system is, F-15 or a nuclear bomb, whatever. It doesn't matter because we're not talking about regular warfare. We're not talking about the U.S. Civil War where there was lines, you know, right. north of it or south of it. Uh, like I said, it's a chain-link fence. Mm-hmm. Uh, between your weapon system and the people you expect to be bombing with them. Yeah. And um, at any given time in Iraq, it's really hard to pin down numbers on this. The numbers are all over the board, but as best I could find, uh, any time in Iraq, we were fighting about 20,000 insurgents at any given time. And think about that, how how long that took and how much effort and treasure and energy and lives that took with the world's most powerful most technologically advanced military coalition in human history 20,000 dudes and that's what we're fighting against. Yeah. And uh, they're talking about so and I go into the book into the math but basically if 1% of 1% of gun owners got uppity
0: mm-hmm. it would
2: be a force orders of magnitude greater than that in an area far 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 larger. So when people are tossing this stuff out so flippantly, they're fools who don't understand. Honestly, I think a Second Amendment guys, we are the the last people who want uh, any sort of uh, you know pushing that big red button, mm-hmm. because I think we're the ones that grasp it. I mean, we 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 get it, and we don't want to mess with that.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you look at the experience of summer of twenty twenty. Um, you had a few malcontents in Minneapolis throwing rocks and a couple of Molotovs, and it chased the police completely out of the city. And so, yeah, it's like they're not going to be using jet fighters. We're not uh, lining up in perfect columns like a Napoleonic battle scene. It's just like. And frankly, my first thought as well is, um, if you're so desperate to get rid of my guns, I don't <laughs> – now, I really don't trust you kind of a thing. It's just like, yeah. why are you so insistent on taking them away if they aren't a threat to you? That's all you care about.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting, too, and I'd be arguing with people about this. They have a Ukrainian flag in their bio on Twitter right. where we were just celebrating you know, the fact that the government there was handing out AK-47s like candy yeah. to literally anybody who wanted one. Right. And it's like, hey, you want to fight the invaders? Here's your AK. Have a nice day.
1: Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's what I'm like. I'm a nationalist. What? You're disgusting. No, I'm a Ukrainian nationalist. Oh, all right. Good for you. That's oh, good. Yeah, that's, all right. Like, that's a good call.
0: Yeah, sure. you know, but
2: it's interesting, though, because we have the Second Amendment for this. The, being able to defend ourselves against just regular criminals is a perk. Um, right. But it's not the purpose of the Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, people talk about hunting. You know, or sporting purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, the second amendment has nothing to do with hunting or sporting purposes. The fact I, I shoot competition, I I like I like to, I go to training classes all the time. I love that stuff. I host them at my house, right? Uh-huh. I love that stuff. That said, I recognize that is not why the second amendment exists. Mm-hmm. And and we're we're silly when we get derailed and we focus on the stuff of whether so when Joe Biden's like, Come on, man, the deer don't wear Kevlar. <laughs> Well, no kidding. I I don't own an AR 15 because the deer own Kevlar. I don't give a crap about the deer. (laughs) It's not the purpose.
1: Yeah, it's not about hunting. And uh, people, you know, if you doubt this, read history. Gosh, just going through last summer, I read the Federalist Papers finally. Instead of reading people talking about the Federalist Papers, I'm like, I should be a big boy and actually do the reading. But it was just very important to see that the founders were just like, no, everybody needs to be armed because we don't trust the Constitution we're writing here. And what if things go south? They need to be able to redress their grievances the old fashioned way, pretty much. And yeah, it is kind of a red button nuclear option, but that was the purpose for the Second Amendment.
2: Yep, absolutely. and I, I think we do ourselves a disservice if we if we lose track of that. And I see too many people on our side are hesitant to come out and admit that, but it is what it is
1: right. right. And it doesn't have to be a scary thing. It has to be a human history thing. And maybe too, I'm just I've always been a history buff history nerd. And, um, yeah, you just look at cycles of history, and you might have a really good government going for a couple hundred years, and then you get a couple bad leaders, and then hopefully it can recover. But uh, we never know what's around the corner and what can happen. And um, any good leader would view an armed populace as a huge asset uh, that would promote stability, reduce crime, all that good stuff as well. So um, where can people find this uh, fine book of yours, sir?
2: Uh, it'll be available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, pretty much stores everywhere. You can just ask your local stores. I have a lot of gun stores carrying it,
1: which is kind of <laughs> cool. Um,
2: yeah. uh, audible.com, too. So if you listen to um, audiobooks, uh, Blackstone has made an audiobook version of this also.
1: Oh, they're good. I'm a, Yeah, I'm an audiobook fan, especially when I'm running errands and stuff. Well, it is uh, Larry Korea. Thanks so much for being on In Defense of the Second Amendment. Fantastic book. Uh, the blurbs, all the people recommending this, there's a million of them. We'll include all the links in the show notes. Thanks so much for being on.
2: Hey, thanks. I, I really appreciate it. I had a good time.
1: All right. Great to talk with Larry. Go out and purchase that book. Like I said, it's out next Tuesday, so the 24th of January is when it's officially out, but of course, you can pre-order now, and that's actually better for the authors, so there's a big pop right on release day. I wanted to cover a few other items in the news. One thing, uh, you have this craziness going on um, in Germany. Now, Germany, they have made rather poor decisions lately. And uh, of course, with energy, the tap has been turned off for natural gas and oil coming out of the rush, the rusky space. So they don't have that anymore. And they recently shut down all of their nuclear reactors because Greta Thunberg told them to. Brilliant idea there. Well, what are their other options? Well, something that they have a lot of lignite coal. It's right there. They just uh, mine it straight from German soil and they can use it. But not only is it coal, it's one of the dirtier types of coal. It, there's like clean coal you can get in West Virginia and so forth. Kentucky, um, you don't get that with lignite coal in Germany, but they still have all these ancient coal plants and they need something to run their factories to warm them up in the winter. Lucky for them, the winter has been quite mild so far in Europe. Who knows how long that will last? Uh, there's a lot. A lot more winter coming, and who knows if it'll uh, dip into the very very cold zone soon. But what they're doing is they need to mine more coal than they already mine, and they already mine a lot of it. And so there's this uh, area of Germany. There's like a village there. The village has been unoccupied a very long time, apparently. But apparently, it's surrounded by a uh, very rich coal fields underground. And a coal mining operation wants to create an open pit mine there. And of course, they will eliminate the village to do it. Well, uh, nobody really wants them to eliminate the village, at least not if you're a green in Germany. They're like, no, we need to protect this village, but there's no one living there. Yeah, but we don't want evil coal miners getting jobs and providing heat and electricity to our nation. So they're protesting it. They did a big protest, and of course, there was violence involved, and the German police arrested a bunch of them, including, that's right, Greta Thunberg herself. Now, I don't know what a German prison is like. I have my preconceived notions about Germany. The only country that really worries me is uh, the country of Germany. I don't know if you guys are history buffs or not, but... uh, (laughs) Whenever discussing Germany, I think of the Norm MacDonald line. So uh, check out his last stand-up on Letterman. It is everywhere on YouTube, and it's genius. Anyway, yeah, so she might even be released by the time you're listening to this. I'm recording this on Tuesday. 17th of January. And by the way, um, people on Twitter have been making fun of Greta Thunberg. It was kind of staged for the cameras, the arrest. That's what she wanted. It's really dorky. And people are still going back to the trope. Why are you attacking a young little girl? Uh, She's 20 years old now. And she has dedicated herself a couple weeks ago. She says she's dedicated to destroying capitalism. So um, forget her. Uh, go back to Sweden, honey, Uh, maybe make up, maybe take a GED for all the classes you missed in high school, and then maybe get a degree in science so you can have some kind of authority in talking about these issues. She does not have a science degree. She's not educated on these things. She's basically got popular as a scoldy little angry teenager with no understanding of these issues. So uh, good on you, German cops. The other thing going on in Europe, Next door to Germany is Switzerland. And what's in Switzerland? Davos, a very pricey, exclusive ski resort where the World Economic Forum meets every year. All these movers and shakers fly their private jets into the tiny little airport there, which caters to the elites of the elite. And uh, they get together and discuss how to best ruin the lives of everybody who's not them, who's not a fellow elite. That's where you get these Ideas about the Great Reset, which we've talked about on the show, how you, everybody should stop eating meat and just eat bugs instead because they're healthier, about how you won't own anything and you'll be happy, about how nobody should own homes but they should rent and the government or huge organizations like BlackRock should own everything. Um, that'll just take the stress off. They're pushing all these ideas and every year they push stupid ideas like this. But our betters at the WEF, just the creepiest organization. Anytime, just, just cruise YouTube for speeches. Um, There's some very creepy people. Uh, the main dude just looks like a Bond villain completely. He's just leaning right into it. Well, the AP has finally figured out that people are not down with the WEF. So they had a tweet. I believe it was, yeah, it was on Monday. Here it is. I'll quote it. The World Economic Forum, which opens Monday, is slated to take on pressing global issues. But online, it has become a target of bizarre claims from a growing chorus who believe it involves a group of elites manipulating events for their own benefit. How could anyone have ever come to that conclusion other than that basically being the mission statement for the WEF? They put the Great Reset on their website. They've put all these dumb plans, anti-human anti-growth plans. They've posted them all over their own website. These are not conspiracy theories. AP, everybody had a field day on this tweet. You can't call facts, bizarre claims. And to complain that it involves a group of elites, that's all the WEF is. They're a group of elites and they're manipulating events for their own benefit, which they proudly proclaim from the stage. They think they're smarter and better and more moral and more pure than the rest of us. And that's why they need to uh, create massive population control and control our lives from start to finish. Here is uh, John Kerry sharing his humility for which he is justly famous.
2: And when you stop and think about it, it's pretty extraordinary that we select group of human beings
1: because of whatever touched us at some point in our lives, are able to sit in a room and come together and um, actually talk about saving the planet. I mean, it's so almost extraterrestrial to think about, quote, saving the planet. And if you said that to most people, most people, they think you're just a crazy, tree-hugging, lefty, liberal, you know, do-gooder, or whatever, and and there's no relationship. But really, that's where we are. You heard it here first, folks. John Kelly is an extraterrestrial. Um, I like how he says we're all touched. Um, That in the old timey days, like when you're reading classics, if somebody is touched, that's the polite way of saying insane. They would just say, oh, they seem to be touched. Um, Yeah. So I guess that part is accurate. But uh, WEF, they are coming up with a bunch of dumb ideas. I saw uh, something else today, some European vice commissioner of assistance secretary to the Bruges agenda of who knows who these people are. They have those funny Euro names. I don't remember hers exactly. But she was saying how great it is to have online hate speech laws to make this illegal And these um, anti-hate speech laws are spreading around the world and soon will be adopted in the United States. She actually said that. Good luck. I know you want to. You've been pushing this for years. Uh, It ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen, folks. Now, a particularly large problem right now in the States is Joe Biden's document leaking all over the place. Is there a place he didn't keep Confidential documents, classified documents. He kept them everywhere. They're in his garage. They're at a think tank. By the way, I love the concept of a Biden think tank. No thinking is going on there, folks. Nobody ever heard of this organization. But he's just scattered classified material hither and yon without a concern in the world. He had some in his garage, but he said it's okay because that's where he keeps his Corvette. So it's locked. I I think the big problem is um, with this stuff. Well, there's a few things. First off, when Trump was raided, Biden's not being raided, by the way. He's allowed to have his own lawyers process stuff and alert the DOJ if they found anything, DOJ if they find anything more. That's a rather cushy deal. You didn't see the FBI treating Trump that way. But when the Trump story broke, I know I and many other people said There's way too much classified information coming out of the government. Most of the stuff is nonsense. It has no reason to be classified. And that's why it's so tough to track the actual top secret, dangerous facts out there that you don't want uh, foreign intelligence to get their hands on. They just classify anything. It's kind of like a grade inflation in college. Everybody gets A's all the time. This is like a classification inflation. Um, People think it looks very important if they classify their suggestion, their suggestion memo to the Senate. So they just make it confidential, at least, which is the lowest level. But you've just had this inflation where just to cover our bases, we're going to list this as secret or top secret or whatever. And so all this nonsense, this public knowledge is uh, classified, and it makes it very hard to keep track of the documents that actually are important to uh, the security of our nation. So I said that after Trump. I say it again after Biden. But we don't know what's in these documents. Who knows? It could be uh, 10% for the big guy. It could be ukraine Shenanigans. It could be China-related. They go back to when he was VP. Who knows? Um, these these things are all over the place. Um, the garage storage facility. Um, his son, Hunter, lived there a long time. That's not, yeah, he's a crack addict, dude. Uh, I do not trust him with his um, security clearance if he were to have one. So Biden is getting in trouble with this. Um, you've had a lot of people on the left freaking out. They were saying, oh, this is totally different from Trump because Trump's a meanie. Um, now they're starting to get more and more concerned and more and more panic because basically uh, the press secretary, Corrine Jean-Pierre, gosh, is she awful at this job. I, I know you're lying for a living. Um, that's kind of the job description for any of these people, especially when you have um, a Joe Biden to deal with. But she is so bad. But one thing you've noticed um, today, especially, she was just hammered at the press conference. And usually it's like, who is it, Steve Ducey. I always mix up him and his dad. Peter Ducey, Steve Ducey. I think Steve Ducey is the son. Forgive me if I'm wrong to the Ducey family. But it's usually just like one or two reporters will ask a challenging question. Uh, Cecilia Vega, she's from ABC News, Uh, here is a little bit of a lengthy excerpt, three minutes or so, but it just shows that the mainstream press is just hammering and hammering and hammering. And uh, as she left today's event, uh, people were just basically straight up calling her a liar. And again, these are mainstream journalists. These are not uh, Republican leaning or even centrist. These are left leaning people. So uh, here is that clip.
0: On Friday you stood here though and were asked about these documents issued by our account some 18 times at that point the president's lawyers had found these five additional pages of classified documents so did you not know on Friday that those documents had been found when you were at the podium or are you being directed by someone to not be forthcoming on this issue I'm, I have been forthcoming from this podium what I uh, said yes to was what the statement at the time that we all had right you all had the statement uh, and I was repeating what the what the uh, council was sharing at that time and so we had that statement so we knew what was in it but you also knew did you not know that I'm telling you I I just answered the question I just said that I was repeating what the information that we had at that time right that you all had I was confirming from what the special counsel had provided to all of you and that we knew as well from here so just to be very very clear uh, and look i've also been very clear about being prudent from here i was also being very clear about being consistent from here uh and not going uh beyond uh what is currently happening right and again this is an ongoing i also said this was an ongoing uh review that was happening with the department of justice and as we know with the special counsel i've been very consistent about that as well uh, and that's one of the reasons your question to me is one of the reasons why I'm, I, we are being very, very careful and very mindful and to not interfere here, uh, and to make sure, to make sure that the Department of Justice has their independence. Your question actually proves that. And that's why we're going to continue, uh, to refer you to Department of Justice and refer you to the special counsel or my colleagues Is the president- at White House counsel. Does President Biden have confidence in the way his team is handling this with this trickle out of information and the documents being found day after day? I can tell you this, the president has confidence. I can tell you this, that the president and his team uh, rightfully took action when they learned that the documents ex- existed. They reached out to the archives. They reached out to the Department of Justice. That is the steps. We have been very clear about that, the steps and the process uh, that we took here. Uh, and uh, and look, we're going to continue. We're going to continue to, uh, uh, as we have said, fully cooperate with the Department of Justice. We're going to fully cooperate uh, with the president's team is going to fully cooperate with the special counsel. That does not stop. And That will just continue again we are going to uh, respect the independence of the department of justice his mood to us and the conversations you've had with him on this issue his his mood has been very clear i i saw him this morning he's very focused i i was with i traveled with him this weekend he wants to make sure that he's continuing and we are continuing to deliver for the american people and uh we've been you know we've been pretty consistent on that if you think about last week you heard from him about how his economic plan is working how we have seen uh, inflation go down For six months straight, how we have seen uh, unemployment numbers at its lowest level in 50 years, uh, that matters. That is also the things that this country, the people in this country are also very, very concerned about and want to hear what this president is doing every day. That's his focus, and that's what he's going to continue to talk about.
1: Now, some people with more uh, worries about the deep state are saying maybe this is a situation since it happened before the midterm elections and wasn't revealed until this past week. Maybe it's a situation where the intelligence agencies are saying, you know what, Biden's more of a liability. We got to shuffle this dude out. So they're leaking like a sieve. Who knows who's leaking this stuff? But it ain't a Republican. I don't think Um, the DOJ it's probably coming from them. But from whom we don't exactly know. Um, Who knows if this could push Biden out? We are a long, long way from that. And I know MSNBC is uh, circling the wagons and just basically saying Trump's bad. So his case is terrible and he has to be thrown in jail for that. And Biden should be given a complete pass. But something that the American people know, they see it more and more over the years, is how political elites, connected people, they don't get hit on this uh, classified document stuff. The little people, boy, they get hit hard. I go back to one story when I was in the Navy, I was in the nuclear power program and all of our teaching materials, our manuals or textbooks, everything like that were all marked confidential. Now that is the lowest classification. You have confidential, then above that is secret, then top secret, and then it gets a little esoteric above top secret. I had a top secret clearance, but all of our books were confidential now. Um, The stuff in here was not um, very important. It wasn't about here's how you make a nuclear bomb in your garage. It was stuff like basic electronics. Uh, Here's a resistor. Here's the formula for uh, figuring out how many ohms this resistor has. Um, Here's how you use an ammeter. You know, it's just basic stuff. If there was a manual lying around an old closed down radio shack, that's the level of stuff But they marked it all as classified. I knew a student, very smart guy, nerdy, as most of us were, including yours truly. He decided to bring one of these textbooks home so he could study. He was sick of having to keep everything at the office, let's say, on base in the secure room. And he just, you know, the stuff, why is it even classified? It's basic stuff. And I got to study. So he brought it home. Well, he was caught. He was caught bringing it home, brought it off base and uh, we found out, apparently he did this on a Friday. We all came back Monday and were wondering, oh, where's that guy? And then we found out, oh, yeah, he uh, took one of those books home. We're like, oh, is he in trouble? And they say, yeah. He's going to Leavenworth, probably. Uh, We never heard of him or from him again. Uh, People tried to contact him, like writing. These are the oldie times, uh, writing things, trying to find him. Nope, never heard another word. Um, You see this all the time. I don't know. Some Navy dude is on a sub, but he takes a funny picture, but you're not supposed to be taking pictures on subs. And so he's kicked out dishonorable discharge with some uh, jail time. Um, politicians don't suffer this fate. And so this entire issue is ridiculous. And there are way too many classified documentations. But if you think you can nail Trump to the wall over this, you better nail Biden to the wall. There's no other way that this would be fair. And also a Joe Biden-related story, mostly about Hunter. You might remember when the New York Post broke the story that they had the laptop that Hunter left at some IT fix-it place. And uh, they released it. Well, you had 51 national security and intelligence personnel, mostly retired, that all signed this letter saying this has all the classic characteristics of Russian disinformation. And everybody at the time with any common sense said they're lying. Um, who did you have signed this? Leon Panetta, James Clapper of CNN slash CIA, John Brennan of CIA slash MSNBC. They went out of their way to cast doubt on this. They all signed this letter. It was made very public. The press patted themselves in the back. See, we are not going to push this Russian disinformation. Well, one of the guys who signed it, he is a former Defense Intelligence Agency deputy director. His name is Douglas Wise. His surname is Inapt, let's say, because he was talking to The Australian, a paper in, of all places, Australia. And here was his quote that he told them. All of us figured that a significant portion of that content had to be real to make any Russian disinformation credible. People tried to contact him, New York Post, for instance. He wouldn't return their messages. This caused a bit of a stir when other people picked up on it, including the New York Post. So uh, Mr. Wise, Mr. Unwise, I should say, had to address this. So he contacted the Australian again. And he said, the letter said that this laptop had earmarks of Russian deceit, and we should consider that as a possibility. It did not say that Hunter Biden was a good guy. It didn't say that what he did was right, and it wasn't exculpatory. It was just a cautionary letter. Um, Mott and Bailey, classic. uh, Now they're saying, ah, who are we? We weren't saying it was Russian disinformation. It just might be. And we don't like Hunter Biden, and he's crooked, blah, blah, blah. So, um, yeah, it's good to see one person of the 51 people who signed this admit the obvious. Finally. Uh, But once again, it's just one of those things with all these documents turning up, with people leaking information about them. The snowball is rolling downhill and gathering more and more snow. Whether it'll turn into avalanche, who knows? Uh, People tend to have a short attention span. And the press is probably patting themselves on the back by asking tough questions to Kareem Jean-Pierre. And they will uh, run off at the the next uh, social media outrage where... um, a former celebrity says something uh, slightly off kilter, and they can scream about that for a week or two. Now, before I get to the song of the week, I said there are two important announcements. These these are the biggest announcements you're going to face this week, frankly. One, next episode of this show, I did have a guest scheduled, and they had to rearrange their schedule, so we'll be talking to that person later. But I noticed it's going to be the 400th episode of this show, quite a milestone. So what I'm going to do, I haven't done it in at least a year, probably a year and a half. I'm going to do an ask me anything episode. So what I want you to do is members of Ricochet can go to the show page and add their comments, asking me questions, anything you want. Uh, Lawn care tips. Ask me about that. Who is the greatest Byzantine emperor? Ask me that. That was um, Basil the Bulgar Slayer. But there was another guy. I can't remember the emperor's name, but I know that his nickname was the Pale Death of the Saracens, which is pretty sweet. Um, But yeah, you can ask me anything about anything. um, Health tips, dietary clues, um, how I get about my day, how best to avoid people in general. Um, I have all these things or any other questions you have questions about politics, music, you name it ask me anything so put it in the comments if you're not a ricochet member shame on you and when i make my next announcement you will want to change that fact but uh shout out on twitter Uh, send me a note on twitter just saying hey i have a question for you Uh, i think last time i had like 50 questions and i whipped through all of them in an hour um i want more i want 100 questions people so send those in announcement number two I mentioned something um, um, in the last comment, and I've mentioned it many times on here. I'm not exactly a people person. I'm not one for crowds. I get along with a small group of friends. Like, um, I I am recording this um, at night because I went out with two old friends. We've known each other since junior high. Two of us joined the Navy together. We get together once a month. A small group, okay, that's one thing. Huge crowds uh, flummox me at times. But I thought, you know what, this is a new year and I need to do this. Um, You may know that Ricochet members get together all over the country and even all over the world to have meetups. We meet in real life and we hang out. And a lot of times those are in places very far from Phoenix, because Phoenix is kind of we can't just like, uh, I don't know, catch a train to the next town down the road. We're out in the middle of the flipping desert, if you've seen it on a map every once in a while. Anyway. I decided to have one in Phoenix, and it is going to be Saturday, March 11. So if you would like to hang out, first, you need to be a Ricochet member, and it is dirt cheap. It's like 4 bucks a month or something like that. So join Ricochet, and you can come and hang out, whether you're in the Phoenix area, whether you're going to be visiting. Why I chose March 11 is March tends to be the biggest tourism month. Uh, For Arizona, uh, the average temperature in March is 77 degrees for a high. We have spring training going on all month long. Great golfing, all sorts of outdoor adventures. I'm going to be doing a few desert hikes. At least I put that on my New Year's resolutions. Um, I want to do that in the spring. So it is the perfect time to visit Arizona to get out of wherever you are, shivering in the cold and gloomy weather, whether you're in Chicago or Connecticut or you name it. And it's a great chance to hang out. So I have no idea how many people will come. I have set up a message on this on uh, the member feed of Ricochet, which if you're a Ricochet member, you can read it, get all the details. Right now, it's going to be pretty casual. Go to a brew brew pub, hang out for an afternoon, have fun. But I don't know how many people are going to come if we're going to want to announce a lot of side quests or other things going on. I don't know how many people are local, how many people are coming from elsewhere, But if you're interested in all of this, once again, it is March 11. You can find out information on the Ricochet member feed and uh, just join. It's cheap. Did I tell you how cheap it is? And also, my family is about to run out of ramen. I go to um, Costco and get pallets of ramen. That's all my family has been living on for about four years now. Um, I could use a couple more bricks of ramen. So um, if you join, they will funnel a little bit. Of that to my ramen budget, and now the song of the week. Um, now, I don't know if this has sounded weird my last part of this podcast show, but I recorded this all several hours ago, and none of it actually recorded. So I'm doing it all over again. So hopefully it's just as uh, insightful and sparkling as always. But uh, one thing that I did uh, about a week ago, I finished a book called *Endless, Endless*. And what it's about is this wacky little group of musicians, mostly in the late 90s, but they knew each other since childhood and they're still around today. But it was called Elephant Six. Now, it's hard to define Elephant Six. They were kind of a collective. They would all hang out together, live in the same places, show up on each other's albums. Uh, some They would go out on tour together. Sometimes the same, say there was five dudes on tour And they would just change instruments and then get up for the next band and back them up. So, uh, a very funky group that was really into. I would say power pop, 60s psychedelia, kind of like the later Beach Boys, like Pet Sounds, which is one of the greatest albums ever made. And uh, they wanted to kind of recreate that sound. And they did it with whatever instruments they had around. Somebody says, hey, I have a tuba from high school. Bring it in. We'll put it on the album. Um, The chief hipster band from the scene was Neutral Milk Hotel. Critics revere these guys Um, after the guy released a second album that won many album of the years in, I think it was 99, might have been 98. um, He just disappeared. He's like, I'm out. Every once in a while, he's shown up on stage, but he's like, I don't want money and I don't want fame and I just want people to leave me alone. A lot of them lived in Athens, Georgia, where REM, the B-52s are from. Some lived in Colorado. I know one of the bands, Apples and Stereo, I saw one of their early gigs, maybe their first time they played in Phoenix, and they do this really happy, upbeat pop. They are hilarious and fun and upbeat. Um, If you're old like me, you might remember a show called the Banana Splits. That was kind of like a monkey for the monkeys for toddlers. It was all these goofy people dressed up in dog outfits, but just this happy bubblegum pop. And that's what they did. And their entire show, they did the pogo. Every member of the stage did the pogo nonstop through every song, including the drummer. It was one of the most hilarious things I've ever seen. Great band. Um, Other bands associated with it, the Olivia Tremor Control. But there's all these different bands and side projects and thing. One of them, uh, probably the band with the worst name, was Elf Power. But they were part of the scene. They were kind of already in Athens, Georgia, and after reading this book, I've been going through um, all the all the bands that didn't get huge, didn't get popular, and kind of rediscovering them. This one um, is from Elf Power, and it's called "Jane" from
2: 1999.
1: is it Uh, you can listen to all the songs for our weekly song picks on spotify a link is in the show notes there's also links in the show notes to the great new book in defense of the second amendment by larry correa and uh, you can find out any other information you can put in questions for me for my next show the 400th show thank you very much for listening and i will talk with you and answer your questions next week